Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. She Slayers, and welcome to another episode of She Slays the Day podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Brunslick. It's me. Um, well, you guys, if you've been following me for a while, you know that I have preached the importance of not going viral and the how you don't really want it and um you know but up until that point i hadn't gone viral and so i think there was you know definitely an assumption about what happens when you go viral and yada yada but i guess i couldn't i couldn't tell you without without certainty or with certainty of what happened um but somewhere along the line something out of my control happened and we had an instagram reel about two weeks ago, I think it's still, oh, it's definitely still going, um, gone absolutely insanely viral. It's stupid. It's a really, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Um, it's not one of our best or one of our best reels. It came from an afternoon where I had a new patient cancel. And like, I was like prepared to be like, yeah, yeah. All right. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then I had this like blank space in the middle of my flow. And so to my office manager, I was like, we should make a reel. And just working with me. Right. It wasn't like she was sitting around, like waiting for me to be like, Hey, we should do something. Um, she was working, but she's like, okay. And so we're like listening to audios and she's like, Oh, we could do this one. Um, and like make it about like a blowout, like, oh, don't say we didn't warn you that the baby's going to have a blowout after their adjustment. And we're like, oh yeah, do we have footage of a baby being adjusted already? And so we like look through the camera roll and we're like, oh yeah, that's perfect. I'm doing Logan basic right there. And she's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll whip it up. And so she whipped it up, threw it out there. And a couple days later, it just took off. Now, when I say we've gone viral currently, we have gained 10,000 followers. We were at a humble like 900. And so here's the deal is every time it would like get closer to a thousand, I would go through and delete a bunch of chiropractors who were following our clinic page. Yeah, this is for my chiropractic clinic, by the way, not she slays. Um, so I'm really sorry if you've been deleted, but now you might as well go follow us because the whole reason I was deleting you was because I really valued that my followers were local 
And there's a whole episode on it, a couple, like maybe two months ago now, titled Why You Don't Want to Go Viral. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go listen to it. I can attest to everything that was said in it that it's true. Um, So now I've got... 10,000 plus followers, like most of them, like a high, high majority of them, 90 plus percent of them will never pay me a dollar for chiropractic care. Cool, 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 cool. Now the great news is, is they're reaching out frequently. I am paying someone to answer questions. Like, would you, you know, this is just the thing. So now I am paying a staff member to answer a lot of questions, basically just telling people like, go to the ICPA or go here to find a chiropractor near you. And, you know, responding to comments. I had to turn off comments on it um, because there were so many mean comments about pediatric chiropractic that it was like affecting my mental health. Because like for a while I was like trying to educate for the people who'd be like, what is this even doing? And I'd be like, oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, it's stimulating the parasympathetics while downregulating the sympathetics or down like, you know, I didn't use that. I said, like, you know, stimulating rest and digest while decreasing the fight or flight response. And they'd just be like, so that baby didn't feel safe. And I'm like, D- block, block, delete and block. Go away. Um, currently, it's close to 10 million views by the time like it, it's still going like this has been over two weeks and it's just like every time I log into that account it's like you have a hundred new followers and like uh, it's just it's so is it fun I mean it's it's crazy it's definitely crazy but that Instagram account is wrecked it's absolutely wrecked um beyond just being an educational and I don't take it lightly like I appreciate now being in like a a place of being able to educate people about pediatric chiropractic um I am definitely smart when it comes to social media where it's like I really only like it if it is gonna bring me money um so If you have not listened to the why you don't want to go viral, go back and listen um, or go and listen to it because everything I say in it is absolutely true. I can attest now that, yep, it will screw up the algorithm. It screws up your engagement. It screws up a lot of things, but it does help more people find pediatric chiropractic. And it also just makes you a target for trolls, but whatever. Um, And if you don't follow Blue Hills Cairo at Blue Hills Cairo, on um instagram or you thought you did but then like you're like wait a minute why does it it's probably because i deleted you but now you might as well now everybody and their brother may as well follow us our account um because it's it's all the shit it's fine it's it's fine just make sure you use geographic hashtags people i don't know that it would actually prevent your reel from going viral i think ultimately if the instagram gods want to take it and the internet has it. Um, I don't think hashtag Rice Lake Wisconsin is going to prevent it from happening. But like, number one takeaway, if you don't go listen, use geographic hashtags. It's not like your clinic social media should not be a vanity project. It is a tool that actually is meant to convert followers into patients. So mm, there's my there's my soapbox. (laughs) Okay, let's do our listener highlight. So this is actually a um from the person who asked the community outreach question 
Um, and she said, I just finished listening to the episode about community outreach in response to my question, and it was super helpful. Thank you so much for so many good ideas. I'm excited to put them into practice. I have learned so much from the podcast already, like strategies to pay off my loans faster, what an Enneagram is, how to set better boundaries with patients, how to properly do the SEO for my office, and so much more. Thanks for always having amazing content and for answering my question. Thank you for submitting it, Jillian Banks, DC. Um, for those of you who don't know, maybe this is one of the first times you're listening. Uh, a lot of times on the podcast, we will be answering a question from a from a listener or someone on social media. So if you have a question around chiropractic, around marriage, around relationships, around marketing, around um, raising kids, um, breastfeeding, whatever you have a question about, feel free to submit it to the podcast. Um, if I don't know, I will bring on an expert and we'll I'll ask them. Um, there's two ways that you can submit a question. One is directly through our website, sheslayspodcast.com. And another is by sending me a DM on Instagram. I will say that is the less reliable source. Um, but you can do that. The other way, um, you know, another thing is if you do have not left an Apple, like if you listen on Apple podcasts and you've not left a review, what are you doing peeps? Like, please. Um, but there's a lot of you who don't listen. Maybe you listen on Spotify or Castbox or somewhere else. If you can't leave a review that way, I would love you either sharing an episode with your social media, letting other chiropractors know about it, or just other females knowing about it. Um, I was just interviewing a financial lady. And at the end, she asked like, so how did you like come up with this? Is this only for chiropractors? And I'm like, no, no, not at all. Like, and I talked to her about so many of the different subjects that we cover. Um, you know, I would say more than 50% of our episodes are really not chiropractic specific and many women, you know, deal with. So um, I would love if you shared it or send me a DM with a, with, your review and I will share it on social, share it maybe as a listener highlight, but I just, I really appreciate them. Um, along the lines of not always talking about chiropractic heavy stuff. Um, today I have on Dr. Megan Banker. She is the owner and chiropractor at Verve Lifestyle Center in Portland, Oregon. She holds degrees in neurobiology, physiology, and behavior and neuroscience, neuroscience from UC Davis and a doctor of chiropractic from Parker University. So her mission is to inspire her community to live life without limits. She is a health at every size provider, meaning she focuses her treatment recommendations on making positive changes in health at any size with respect and dignity and without diet or weight loss recommendations. She's a plus size rock and mountain climber that advocates for inclusivity and diversity in the outdoors and has worked with major brands on increasing their clothing lines to include plus size bodies. Um, so this is actually how I, you know, I had been following her for a while because first of all, I just, there's, I follow a lot of chiropractors. Okay. That's it. And um, as somebody who deals with body dysmorphia, uh, it can be difficult to follow a lot of 
22 year olds um, who've not had babies and are in the gym a lot. And especially you Floridian chiropractic students who are like always studying on the beach. I'm so jealous, but like it can mess with my head to see only um, six packs and really thin bodies. Like it just does. I've shared this before on the podcast um, that one of the best things that I do for my positive mental health around my body issues is to make sure that I am following people who look like me as well. And, you know, people who are being healthy at every size. Um, it's just what's good for me. So I naturally was attracted to Megan's social media account. Uh, she says that it's at PDX Outdoor because she wasn't just a plus size person doing mountain um, hike, mountain hiking, <laughs> mountain climbing. Um, she was a plus size person doing mountain climbing and talking about it and talking about the struggles that it has had for her mentally and physically and inclusivity. And like one of her stories was about her experience with snowboarding um, and just the struggles of being a plus size person who was snowboarding for the first time and trying that. And I was just like, I freaking love the conversation that she's having on social media. Um, and so I was like, will you come on my podcast, please? And so she is. So that's how I found her. Um, and she's really, really, really great. So um, before we jump into our, our uh, episode, our conversation, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for strong women who are willing to be vulnerable about tough, personal, vulnerable conversations. Um, anytime that we're talking about body, um, I don't want anyone, whether they are size zero, size two, size four, size 14, size 22, size whatever, I don't want anyone to feel shame from these conversations. Um, we're here to, you know, not try and step on toes and not make anybody feel guilty for anything. But part of the process of getting to a healthier place for ourselves and to loving one another, I believe, is um, starting to have these tough conversations. So thank you so much for people like Megan. Thank you so much for the platform that She Slays the Day has become to have people on. Thank you for our listeners so much. Um, bless each and every single one of them to be on this journey. Again, no matter their size, to start shifting the way they view at the, themselves, um, their daughters, their, their patients, and start to see the stigma that surrounds us, you know, that we were born into and is perpetuated in this yeah, getting better, but like help draw awareness around this societal pressure that so many women, so many women face and allow them to see the strength and see them as the beautiful creation that you made them um, and to not find worth in the shopping mall and in their size. So in your name, we pray. Amen. All right, crew. So here is Megan Banker and I following, follow, just solving all of life's problems um, and just having a great conversation around inclusivity and positive body love and good relationships with ourselves. 
Okay. Well, welcome to the She Slays the Day podcast, Dr. Megan. I'm excited. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yep. As with um, almost all of my guests for the last multiple years now, um, we met on the gram, on the Instagram. It's where so many connections are made. I know. It's really creepy. It is (laughs) creepy how much I know people. And like, it really messes me because I am very convinced that I have facial blindness. Like it's a real thing. Um, who's the current go- guy of Apple? Not Steve Jobs. He's the ex-current. Guy. Oh yeah, the Steve's the new Steve Jobs. The new Steve I Jobs. Names, I believe yeah. he says he has facial blindness. So every time that he like meets someone, he's like, "Hi, I'm sorry. I don't know if we've met before. I have facial blindness." And I'm like, "Well, I don't want to do that." Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then like people come up to me at things and be like, Hey, and, act like, and I don't know whether they know me and I know them or mm-hmm. me. It's kind of so it actually hey. happens to my husband a lot that people will come up to him and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, Andy, like I saw that you and Megan were doing this thing. Cause I'm really active on social media. He is not, he has an Instagram that doesn't have one post on it. He is a professional Instagram lurker. Um, but, but I'm not, and you know, a lot of people follow me. And so they'll run into him and he'll be like, I don't know how I know this person. I'm like, oh, honey, I think they follow me yeah, so by know. proxy. They know you. I also don't know them, but they follow <laughs> me and they just have been tailing us. Just time. smile and not smile and not. <laughs> okay. Well, um, let's get into kind of like the question that I hate answering on everyone else's podcast, but I mean, it's kind of essential. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's redundant because you're like, ah, oh, man, you need me to introduce myself, but I do. I would love to, as I don't know much about you, um, yeah. except for like the stuff that we'll talk about towards the end, but I don't really know anything about like pre pre social media, Megan. So who are you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm Dr. Megan Banker. Hello. Uh, I am 32. I have to think about that. Once you get past 30, 32 like I'm, 30 is a good year. I'm 30 something. Like old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I grew up in central California near Fresno. Um, mm-hmm. and Do you still live I, there? I don't, I live in Portland now. So I practice in Portland, Oregon. And I did my bachelor's and master's degrees at UC Davis in California Uh, And that's kind of what set me on the chiropractic path, sort of. Um, I studied neuroscience, so that's what my degrees are in. And then I went to Parker University for chiropractic school. So I moved from Northern California to Dallas. And then I did a short stint in Tulsa, Oklahoma for my internship in chiropractic school. And then I took a year off, didn't want to talk, think, or know about chiropractic for a year. I, I, yeah, I needed it. I was exhausted. I mean, I basically did 10 years of school straight from, and I went to like a really academically intense high school. I went to like a college prep high school. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, and I graduated early. So I went to college at 17 and then I was like done and whoop, you're a doctor at 25. And I was just like, okay, I need a break for a year. And I knew that I didn't want to stay in Texas. So I didn't want to take an associate job and kind of end up getting stuck there. So I took a year off in Dallas, figured out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to live, made some money, um, just working as a server. I was just working as a server. Yeah. Just, you know, 
kind of, it was an easy serving job. It was at like one of those dine-in movie theaters. So I was actually making pretty decent cash. Yeah. Um, and then uh, after a year, I decided that Portland was where I wanted to be. So I moved to Portland. And a few weeks later, I met a chiropractor who was wanting to retire. Uh, and so he kind of took me under his wing for a year. And then I bought his practice after a year of being an associate. Um, and that was five years ago now. So okay. here so we are. To Portland without having a job. Correct. Yeah. And um, Oregon, I know I'm a very strong manifestor. I've learned. Uh, and it was like three weeks after I got here. Um, but Oregon has really specific rules on getting licensed. We have to take like the minor surgery, proctology, OB-GYN tests. Um, and what? so it just, yeah. And Oregon chiropractors are, I mean, you have to do like extra things, but it's still in our scope that you can do minor surgery, proctology. You're and like, I'm good. OB-GYN. I promise not to stick my fingers up. I wish. Else. I know. I was like, can I just sign a thing that says like, I promise not to do sutures or deliver babies or do proctology exams. Like solemnly swear. I will not do I things. put an asterisk on my diploma. Yeah. I don't care. And apparently no, like, and even then, even now that I've taken that and gotten, you know, licensed in Oregon in order to do those things, you still have to do, you know, all of these extra things. So it, it's kind of a, an archaic type of requirement, I think, but because nobody I know in Oregon that does that, but well, it's in there, is your so. malpractice more expensive too, because you live in Oregon? I don't think so. Not that I know of. I mean, I've compared with some friends and we're about the same. So I, but you could deliver a baby. Yeah. If I got all of the proper certifications, I, I could, I don't, I don't know any organ chiropractors that do. So I don't know why that's still there, but it is. Well, I mean, I can see like, if you have the idea behind, we got that wide of a scope, like don't narrow. Yeah. And I think it, it started because of, uh, doctors that were in rural Oregon, right? Like Eastern Oregon is very rural and remote. And so there might only be one doctor. And I mean, in Oregon, we are primary care physicians. So, um, you know, there may only be one person in a wide, a wide scope. So I think that's why it started. Um, but I mean, I'm in Portland, there's plenty of doctors here. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't uh, tell you that I was going to quiz you on Oregon's like legislative <laughs> and things like that i'm pretty sure that's why it exists um, you're like oh, so I'm I knew, the hip. that's fine it, yeah uh so i knew that it was going to take a while to get licensed here which is why i was fine with moving and i knew that i could work a serving job or retail job or whatever like i have a lot of other skills that i could do for money and so um and i had a boyfriend at the time who was able to get a job here and move together so it kind of worked out got it yeah. So is there, are there, you're big into climbing, right? Climbing. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, rock I, am, I am rock climbing, mountain climbing. Um, and recently we've gotten into some whitewater rafting. So, you know, if it's, if it's cool and outdoorsy, we've probably do it. Is that, did that start? It couldn't have started in Fresno, right? There's no, no. not really. Yeah. I mean, there's, so Fresno is in the middle of California. So you can drive kind of an hour and a half and be in Yosemite. You can drive an hour and a half and be at the coast and Oregon is similar in that way. Um, so I grew up doing a lot of like camping, like what, what people would think is like regular camping where you like drive to a campsite, set up a tent, you know, maybe go on a little Start walk, drinking. but right. yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so we didn't do, I didn't grow up doing a lot of hiking. And when I was in college, I was just um, preoccupied with 
making money and graduating and like sustaining Mm -hmm. college life. And so it wasn't until I moved to Oregon and I didn't know anyone here. I knew that I wanted to live in the Pacific Northwest and really take advantage of how gorgeous it is here. And so I joined um, a meetup group and it was just these like women hikers. I, this is like a thing that I didn't, well, first of all, does not exist in my town. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like go and I'd be like, I already know all of you, Um, (laughs) but yeah, this is a, when, so what year was that? It couldn't have been too. Uh, it was 2016. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Yeah. Groups have been, I interviewed, um, Sandy Spines lady and Mm -hmm. she was talking about how she moved to a new town and yeah, she like goes to these meetups and I'm like, this sounds like terrible for my social anxiety. <laughs> you don't yeah. know anyone. It definitely, it, it's a, it's a, it's a courageous and brave thing to join a, a group with people that you don't well, know. You're and- also probably trying to market too. Um, at the time I wasn't because I was so, so new to Portland that I was just trying to like meet people and I wasn't working at that point yet. Um, and so I mean, once I did start working, I was like, oh, this is a cool way to like market and network. And now I use it pretty regularly, um, for, for different office things. And it just kind of depends on your area. Some areas that's really taken off and some it hasn't, but Portland, it really, really has. Yeah. And so I just joined this meetup group and started hiking with these ladies and they were all older than me, which is great. Um, they're very supportive and sweet. And, um, we just, we did a couple of hikes and then I went and did my first mountain climb with them. And that's kind of what got me into the world of mountain climbing. And I knew that I wanted to climb some harder mountains that that would require skills that I didn't have. And so they suggested I take this eight week long course with the mountaineering organization here. And that was in the beginning of 2017 that I took that class. And the first half of the class was rock climbing. And I was like, I'm not interested in rock climbing. Like I exist in a bigger body. What's the difference between... Hiking and mountain climbing. Isn't mountain climbing just hiking on a mountain? No. Yeah, kind of. Um, it just kind of depends. So some mountains, if they don't have a lot of like snow on them, like Mount St. Helens is a good example of this, where it really is a long day hike. And like some people like to get emotional about the difference between like hiking and mountain climbing and like mountain climbing is this like elite thing. I, I'm not that way. Like it's Mount St. Helens in the summertime is essentially just a long day hike. It's 10 miles, it's 4,000 feet of elevation gain. So, I mean, it's a steep, long hike, but you're not really doing anything that would require extra tools or a rope or that 10 anything miles like one that. Way back and forth. Total. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's about five to six miles up and then got to come back down. Okay. Um, which when I first started, I was like, oh, 10 miles, that's not that bad. But I had no sense of elevation gain. And like 5,000 feet in five miles is a lot of elevation. No joke. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's about 12 hour day. It also sucks. That's the other thing I I just got into, I'm going to call it hiking. I'm not going to call it mountain climbing. Um, (laughs) In the last like year and a half. And it is like, you think that while you, when you're going up, you're like, I can't wait to be going down, but going down also sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I dread going down. And that's actually when most of most accidents happen on the descent. Now that I know that um, I'm even more scared of going because down. you're tired, you're tired. The excitement of it is kind of over. You're ready There's for your momentum cheese. rolling yeah. down the hill. 
you're ready for your cheeseburger. Like it's just, you're done at that point. So, um, so yeah, mountain climbing can be just like extensive hiking. Um, but there are some mountains that require the use of ropes if you're traveling across a glacier. So you need to know how to travel on a rope team. Um, some mountains require you to have like ice tools. So you're like, you know, tooling up the mountain. Um, and so some things just require a little bit more technical skill. And that's when I, my brain switches from like, okay, now we're mountain climbing versus hiking. Um, Got it. it usually just means you need more technical skill. So you said you were not interested in the rock climbing initially. And you said like, like, was that out of fear? Was that out of, you said like you're living in a bigger body? Like what? I think it was a little bit of, um, a, a little bit of both. I think I just never saw plus size people rock climbing. Mm -hmm. So I never thought that I could do that. Um, and I think that that's something that, that we've kind of internalized. Like if you don't see someone who looks like you doing an activity, then you just don't automatically think like that's an activity for me. Um, and so I think that that's where like talking about representation really matters because if I don't see someone who is my size, my shape, my race, my gender doing these things, then it's just not an automatic, like, Oh yeah. Like rock climbing is a space for me. Um, I didn't know if harnesses would fit. Like I I'm, that was kind of my biggest worry was like, I'm going to go and they're not going to have a harness that fits me. Um, I didn't think I had, a, and this is what a lot of beginners climbers say. They say like, I don't have the arm strength for that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just was like, I don't think that that's a thing that I'm going to do. And then I took this class and I really fell in love with it. I love rock climbing. And I met my now husband through this class. We were paired together. He was, I know oh, it's a very good meet cute. He was an instructor in the class and we were paired together. And I always thought he was flirting with me in the beginning because he would like, part of the class was hiking and part of the class was rock climbing and kind of doing all these activities. And he would always hang back with me because I was slow and so he would hike with me in the back of the group. And I always would be like, oh man, like this guy's like hiking with me and we're chatting the whole time. He's really nice. It makes me feel super comfortable. And he doesn't make me feel like I can't do it. And then like two and a half years later, I was telling this story and he was like, oh yeah, I signed up to be that person. Like I signed up to be the person that hikes with the person in the back and the person that like makes that back person feel comfortable. So you didn't quit. And I was like, cool. This whole time I thought you could have left that out. Just <laughs> let me die with that. I was story. like, that's a, I was like, that's a deathbed confession, babe. Like that's not, <laughs> but it worked out. It worked out fine. We ended up, we ended up dating and uh, we went on a lot of adventures together and he um, was really, you know, a good introduction to the sport for me because he made me feel so comfortable. And because he told me like, you're stronger than you think you are. And like, you can do this thing. Um, and so that was really an important part of my kind of climbing evolution. Yeah. So you kind of said that like representation was a big thing that was lacking for you in mm -hmm. rock climbing. So like what what, where's kind of the, so for those that don't follow Megan on Instagram, you've kind of, whether you like it or not, like, I don't know if you thought this or what, but like, you're kind of a pro, but how would you describe like your account? It's 
plus size rock climbing representation. Yeah, it's kind, of become, it's kind of become that thing. It really just started with me posting pictures of myself doing these activities because like when you're on the side of a mountain or like dangling like off a rock, like mm-hmm. it looks really cool. And so, but I also like in my captions, I started getting really honest about what it was like because rock climbing and mountain climbing is a very kind of elitist type of sport. It's typically only been a space where like very fit um it's very it's been a very white space typically so it's just been like a lot of like very very fit white men are typically what we see in rock climbing Mm -hmm. and that's what those I mean those spaces have been kind of that's the type of person that's celebrated in those spaces there hasn't been a lot of space for other people and so because of that there are a lot of attitudes about like who can be a climber there's a lot of um a lot of questions I was getting when I first started climbing was like, did you reach the top? How fast did you get there? Like how it's, it's very like, let's, let's check things off a list of like, okay, you did it. You did it fast. You did so it. I'm like, a, I, I don't want to, I haven't run a half marathon in two years and I don't know if I can yeah. anymore, but like, it's, did you feel like that was just the questions that people asked because that's what they ask or were they asking you specifically because they're like, did you reach the top? How It's fast a little bit of both. Day? I think okay. even if I, even if I wasn't a plus size person, like I was seeing this just in the community in general, it's a very competitive place of like, yeah. Oh, yeah. well I did that mountain in five hours and I had, you know, one snack or, you know, whatever. And yes. like even, even on like elite levels, like there's like this race to be able to like climb Mount Everest without oxygen. And it's like, okay, cool. You did that. Like awesome. But it becomes this thing of like, well, I did it this way. So you have to do it that way. And it just becomes a really toxic competitive place. And so I was posting a lot about that on Instagram and like what that was doing for my mental health and how I was feeling like I wasn't allowed to be there because I was slow. And because I, I don't do like the, the light and fast, meaning like I'm happy to take my time to take a heavier backpack, to not need to be on an elite level. I just want to do it because I like it. And it's, uh, it's gorgeous. And I love the feeling of being outdoors. I love the feeling of accomplishment and all of that was getting overshadowed by this weird competitive thing. Um, and then you throw in the whole like body image aspect of it as well. And that just kind of added to it. So I think I was just being really honest and vulnerable about my experience and people started to relate to that. And so it started to pick up some steam. And, um, I think like plus size inclusivity is kind of a hot thing right now, but we've always been there and we've always asked for that. Um, and I think now more companies are starting to realize that, that they're lacking in that space, especially outdoor clothing companies. Would you say it's a, oh, I didn't even think about outdoor clothing companies Mm because I don't get marketed to for outdoor sports. (laughs) (laughs) Um, they're like, this bitch is not hiking. Uh, so (laughs) do you, you said like, it's kind of a hot new thing. Do you, you don't think that's like a temporary trend though, right? Like, I think it's, it's more of I like not. an awakening, right? Of like, oh, yeah, wow. I definitely think it's, yeah. And I mean, it's not, a, it's also like, whether you want to call it body positive or body acceptance or this idea that you don't have to shrink your body to be worthy or healthy even, um, like that idea has been around for a long time. Like the fat acceptance m- the fat acceptance like 
movement started in the 70s, I think, 50s, 60s, 70s, something somewhere around there. Um, wow, we really so that movement, yeah, the movement has been around for a long time. It's just that I think people are, like you said, it's kind of becoming a more of an awakening and people are becoming more aware. And I think it's not just for body positive, but we're also having some of these other social justice awakenings. And so just as a culture, we're starting to talk more about diversity, equity, inclusion for marginalized groups. And the plus size group is just one of those intersection, uh, one of those identities. And so I think that like companies are actually starting to listen to plus size people too. And more and more, um, at least in the plus size world and like the fashion and the outdoor industry, they're starting to actually listen to plus size people to have conversations, to include them in the conversations. Because before it was like, oh, okay, plus size people need jackets. So we're just going to like take a jacket and make it bigger. And now we have a plus size jacket and they didn't involve plus size people in the conversation at all. And so now that's starting to happen a lot more. We're starting to see conversations like that in healthcare, which, you know, as chiropractors, like that's something that I'm really passionate about too. So it really is, I don't think it's a trend. I don't think it's a fad. And I hope that it's not. I think that people are getting more comfortable talking about it, um, especially with people like Lizzo as, you know, a celebrity that's been loud and proud about being in a bigger body. Um, and so the more, the more people that can share their experience and, and have these conversations with people who don't have that shared experience can help kind of understanding about what it is that we go through. Yeah. Um, so I have to phrase this nicer than I would have probably 50 episodes ago, because now I have men who listen to the podcast and I'm like, get <laughs> out of here. It's for us. I'm like, um, you said something along the lines of like that. Um, basically the white fit male mm-hmm. is kind of like the iconic, or I forget how you kind of like said it of rock climbing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like within chiropractic, um maybe a little I'm I I feel like it's less now than it was 10 years ago when I graduated and I would imagine or it yeah less iconic than but like in your experience like did you feel like there was a lack of representation within chiropractic as well like when you went to school and yeah. you decided like when did you decide you were going to be a chiropractor uh I graduated from my master's in 2010 and 2011 so I started chiropractic school 2011 ish okay yeah and like was there have you ever had any doubts and if so when did those doubts set in of going into chiropractic Mm -hmm. being a plus size person who society sees as unhealthy so I don't think that I thought about it until I was in school Once I got to chiropractic school, I think for me, that was probably the most toxic body image experience that I had had. I didn't, because I started, I started college as a swimmer. I I was a swimmer. Um, I was a rugby player in college. I was a rugby player when I was in school and I played for the Dallas women's team. So I was always an athletic person who just also happened to be plus size. And I struggled with body image and things like that my whole life. And when I got into chiropractic school is when it really, really ramped up. And I, um, I have been honest with a lot of people about like, I think that that was when I really went to 
a toxic place with my body. There was a lot of dieting, a lot of, um, like the, the different, like going keto, going, just really doing like really, really toxic diets that don't work long-term, especially if you already are in a plus size body and you've been in one your whole life. Um, and so I don't think I had any doubts about being a chiropractor. Like I knew that I had the knowledge, right. I came from having a master's degree in neuroscience. Like I had the science part of it. I, I didn't think that I couldn't be a good chiropractor, but I definitely really struggled with definitions of health and what we consider healthy. Um, because so many people in chiropractic school were telling me I wasn't healthy because of my, my weight were, so when you say they were telling you, you were not healthy, mm-hmm. were you like inferring that? Like, do you feel like it was like you were, that was the narrative you were telling yourself? Do you feel like you, it was being told to you by like learning BMIs and, or like, were people saying it? All of it, all of the above. And I think that that's not just a unique experience for me. I think mm-hmm whenever we have these conversations around health, especially in um, like the wellness world, we oftentimes talk about health in the physical sense of like, you need to eat a good diet. You need to eat a clean diet. You need to, there's all these buzzwords that we use that don't actually mean anything when you break it down. Um, Like what is a clean versus a dirty food? Like that's, that's so, I don't know. It's, it's almost this like, um, kind of health savior mentality of like, I'm, I'm really just concerned for your health. I get that one a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned for your health. Um, and in school, there was a lot of that, like, of course they were teaching us about these things. They were giving examples. Yeah. And there's a so, like, weird power situation there too, where you're the student yeah. and they're your teacher and determining your grade and whether you pass this class and Yeah. And then, you know, there are students that are like, Oh, like you're, you know, drinking a soda, like, I can't imagine it. Um, and so it's just like stuff like that, where it's just like the students are kind of judgy and the teachers are giving like giving examples that just like aren't helpful. And then you're also, I mean, living a life in a body where society like to a lot of people getting fat is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And that is given those images are given to us in, um, in society in so many different ways before and after pictures, like people telling their story about how like they were fat and now they're thin and now they have all these things. And so there's just all of these narratives coming at you from the external world that then become internalized. So it's this never ending cycle of, I'm not worthy because I don't look like that person. And yes, a lot of that is my own self, like mental things that I need to work on. But a lot of that is also coming at me from all different angles. And so there's a lot of different plates that you kind of have to handle with, with that. Yeah. What, um, so like when you are approached by a health savior, I like that phrase. Um, (laughs) How do you respond? Like, does a lot of it come through social media more so than in person? Like, it seems like something easier to type out at someone than face to face. You would think from strangers, sure. Like social media, sorry for the phone ringing. Um, 
So social media, yeah, I definitely get lots of strangers and those ones are easy to wipe off, like whatever, keyboard warriors, like, I don't know who you are. You're probably just some troll on the internet and like, I'm on the side of a mountain. So I know my worth. It's when it comes from doctors, I've been misdiagnosed for things many, many times told that my symptoms don't matter because I just need to lose weight. Um, I have been told by chiropractors that I'm too big to be adjusted. I've been dropped off of a table inside posture before, um, and blamed for it being like, Oh, well, you're just too heavy for me to do this move. Um, from friends and family saying things like, I'm just really concerned for your health and concerned about your size. I'm concerned that you've gained some weight over this, you know, last year. Like, I think a lot of people during COVID are feeling that of like, I've gained weight because of everything going on in the world. Like there's so many reasons people gain weight. And so when you have loved ones saying things like that, to you, those are the ones that really stick with you and become hard to work through. Okay. So then it's kind of two different answers. So how do you respond to the, he, um, <laughs> the, the, not your family, the not, not the your strangers. I mean, yeah, like that's going to, especially now that I have more visibility on me through Instagram, those ones I usually just delete unless it's somebody that is coming from a truly a place of like wanting to have an open conversation. No, but like about, a doctor, like, like a doctor. So yeah, I mean, the last time that I went to the doctor, I was dealing with, um, like a, almost like an ulcer type situation. And I Mm -hmm. explained like, I'm having a lot of pain right here, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm a chiropractor. I'm a pretty good diagnostician. Like, I just want to make sure that like nothing's seriously wrong with me. And her response was like, well, um, let's do a blood glucose test. And I was like, well, I'm not here for any like diabetes type thing. They always want to do diabetes tests. So I have to respectfully decline a blood glucose test every time I go to the doctor because I don't have diabetes. I've been tested many, many times because I'm, I've always been overweight. So I get tested all the time and I didn't have any symptoms of, like, I'm not there for that. Um, and her next recommendation was, um, to just exercise more (laughs) to which I said, I climbed 11 mountains this year. Should I do 12 next year? Like I exercise all the time. And also I am not here for that. Like, these are my symptoms. And this is what I'm thinking that it matches with. Do you agree? What's a good treatment plan? So then her next, um, her next recommendation was to drink some Gatorade because my electrolytes might be off to which I said, I really think that that's contraindicated mainly because Gatorade is not a great source of electrolytes and also sugar, which you just remember, want to me for remember you want me to see away from sugar. Yeah. So, you know, I just have to kind of like, come at them from a place of like, okay, the recommendations that you're giving me don't match with what you're saying. And also if I was a thin person, what recommendations would you make? Um, a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times I do have to say that to a doctor and I say, I understand that my BMI is obese and I'm morbidly obese according to a BMI chart, which I think should be thrown away. We should not make decisions off of BMI ever. I'm assuming you've heard how like the BMI chart was designed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by a mathematician. Yeah, right. But then I have a whole blog you... about it. Oh, do you? <laughs> I have a whole okay, whole so blog about it. Yeah. yeah, made about a mathematician, but then share how it became like a health, like a thing used in health. Yeah, I mean, so there's a, there's a couple different routes that it started getting used in health, but it was created to kind of make a statistic about how we allocated resources. So it was never about determining your health; it was about how 
hospital resources are allocated and kind of creating a statistical model. And you should never make individual health decisions for treating an individual person based off of a large statistical model. And we do it all the time in medicine, especially. Um, and so I kind of always have to bring that in. And I usually, if it's something that I know um, is going to be based off of BMI, like if you're t- dealing with a patient who needs a knee surgery, like bringing in PubMed research about how BMI is not a good indicator for outcomes with knee surgery. Like I'll do that for patients. Um, if it's something else, I mainly will just have to kind of question the doctor a lot of like, are you making this decision based off my BMI? Is that the only reason that you're suggesting this treatment? And if I was thin and BMI was not a factor, what would your differential diagnosis be? Because typically that's where the diagnosis lives, not in she's fat, she needs to be tested for diabetes or she needs to go on a diet. Mm -hmm. How has, so like you kind of talked about how you like to incorporate a lot of health into your practice. What kind of a practice do you have? Because I noticed like the name of your clinic, like what, what's the name of your clinic? Verve Lifestyle Center. Yeah, Lifestyle Center. And yeah. so like, talk to me about what kind of a chiropractor you are. Like what you do that like. Yeah, so um, I guess I would be considered like a straight chiropractor if you wanted to yeah. like go like straight yeah. versus mixer, which I think labels are silly. But um, I, so I do, I use a mix of drop table adjusting um, and sometimes instrument depending on the patient and what their needs are. Um, but I only do adjusting in my office and then I have a massage therapist on staff. Um, we have a mental health therapist who rents space. We've got a physical therapist who rents space. So I wanted to create uh, a clinic space environment that really catered to um, inclusion. So we see a lot of people in the LGBTQ space. We see a lot of plus size people. Um, I really just wanted to create a space that celebrated health and not just as physical health. Cause I think that that's something that we do as chiropractors where we, we put physical health on such a high pedestal that we forget about emotional health, mental health, financial health, like all of these things encompass a well-rounded health overall. Um, and so a lot of times we forget about that and we say like, okay, your physical health is the number one. So you need to be eating healthy food. You need to be, you know, no medications at all. You need to be doing a really, uh, you need to be exercising every day. Like all of these things that we as chiropractors tend to, at least from the outside perspective, tend to be known for, but we forget about things like these intersecting identities, these, you know, maybe someone is living at the poverty line and they can't afford really, really healthy organic foods. Like what things can we do to support them to help their body in a way that is not just saying, well, if you're not only eating organic and you're not taking any medications and you're exercising every single day and you're, you know, only doing all these things to support your physical health at the expense of your mental, financial, emotional, spiritual health, Um, If those buckets are all empty and everything's living in your physical health, you're still not going to be quote unquote healthy. We see that all the time. Um, And so I think for me, I wanted to create a space that really attributed or that really focused on all of these attributes of health and not just the physical. Um, I know that there's a lot of women in our profession that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I talk about um, my body issues on the show a lot. And so I've Mm -hmm. had plenty of women send me DMS after episodes being like, 
I struggle mentally with imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. Oh yeah. Talking to people <laughs> about health. I know what I eat. I know that I am healthy, but I feel like an imposter talking to them about their health without like, so then I feel like I need to like explain my story. And so like what has, as a professional chiropractor Mm -hmm. mentally, what have been some of the hurdles that you've had to overcome and how'd you do it as far as like, I'm your doctor and like, listen, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a constant process, right? It's never, I don't think you ever reach the point that you're like, I am 100% confident in everything that I'm saying and doing. Like it's a constant process. Imposter syndrome is a very real thing that comes from that fear and that insecurity and kind of that scarcity place. Um, so, and especially as women in a male dominated field, something that I think we deal with all the time is like body image, or like I hear from a lot of women that that say, um, patients think that they're too small, even like if you want to talk on the mm-hmm. other side of the spectrum of like feeling like they're too small to deliver a proper adjustment. Um, I worried that people were going to see me and be like, Oh, I'm seeing a fat doctor. Like, Ooh, how can I take her advice seriously? And so I think it just, you have to just constantly work on that of like knowing what, you know, knowing your worth. Um, I, when I bring patients on, like I do a phone console before they even see me so that we can talk about what they're dealing with and what they're looking for. And they can understand that like, I'm not the kind of doctor that you can just come in. We're going to crack you one time, send you on your way and never see you again. Like, that's not what I'm looking for. There are cheaper options for that if that's what you want. Um, and so I think just really being transparent with people about what it is that you offer, asking them what their goals are, and then seeing if those align. And if they do, then great. And if they don't being okay with saying like, you're not what, like, you're not what I'm looking for in a patient and I'm not what you're looking for in a doctor. And that is okay. There are plenty of other people that might be better, a better fit for you. And I think we're scared to do that, especially as new grads who are just trying to get people in the doors, especially as women who want to be liked, like wanting to be liked is such a huge universal need that we have as people. Um, and when you're in a field that has been typically male dominated with big personalities, with big egos, um, it's hard not to want to shrink yourself, uh, as a, as a woman in the field. So I think just really working on those aspects of saying like, I am smart. I have something to offer. I went through school just like everyone else did. And I know what I'm offering. I know what I'm worth. And if someone doesn't agree, then they're not for you and you're not for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's, is extra hard when anything that you are feeling an imposter about is physically there. So whether it's your height or your weight or your race or your sexuality or your tattoos you know, mm-hmm. like whatever it yeah. is, um, you know, or even I, your knowledge. Cause I know a lot of people are like, I'm not, I haven't been around very long or like going into chiropractic school, you don't always need a degree in science. So people will be like, Oh, well I did my degree in literature and then I went to chiropractic school. So I'm behind, like I've heard that right. before. Um, and like, we all have things that we feel that way about and rec- like recognizing that I feel like makes me feel a lot less alone Um, knowing that someone else might have these imposter feelings about something else. And all of that is, is just that fear. And you have to just kind of push past it. 
Yeah. It's just harder when it's physically apparent because like my, I deal with anxiety and mental health stuff. And Mm -hmm. so, but like, that doesn't stop me from teaching patients about belly breathing and Mm -hmm. like, and talking to them about meditation and Mm -hmm. like all these things. And like, it's not written on my face. I haven't meditated in four months. (laughs) You know, it's it's just this, it's different. It's a different kind of like imposter thing. It's, it's harder to hide behind the feelings of imposter, you know, type when Mm. things like I'm short, I'm a woman, like you think I'm not strong enough to adjust you. Well, Mm -hmm. make it hurt. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Have you, I know, I know there's no finish line to this body work. Like there is, um, there are, I, I have days and I have weeks and I have moments, but like so not asking this from like a, you've crossed a finish line, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming you are farther along this journey than you were a couple years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, how, like, have you always been body positive? Like you said, you've, mm-hmm. you know, you said you've never been thin. Um, right. And so you've always lived in a plus size body. So like in high school, like when did, when did you start to really struggle with this idea that like I, people are treating me different for this. And like, how long did it take to start to, I don't know, turn it around that mental. Yeah. I mean, so I, um, sorry, I'm just checking my battery on my phone. Um, I knew that I was different from when I was very little. Um, I, my parents used to say like, I, I came out big, like I was always, I was always chubby. I was made fun of a lot. I was teased a lot in school. Um, my parents didn't know what to do. I was their first born. They're both thin. They didn't know what to do with this child. Who's plus size. Who's, who's, you know, a chubby kid. And so their solution was to put me into sports. You know, they wanted me to, they put me in swimming because it's a more of an individualized sport. They didn't want to be get, they didn't want me to get teased in something like soccer where I would be, you know, the chubby kid that's slow. Um, so they put me in swimming, which I really excelled at. I did it for 14 years. Um, but they also started putting me on diets when I was about eight. Um, and yeah. And so I mean, you were told as a kid, like society tells us, society promises us, you will be happier. Life will be easier for mm-hmm. you if you're thinner. And like, and it's so hard. exactly your parents, I'm sure love you. So like, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing, like I was really angry at them for a long time and I've gone through the therapy to work through the fact that like they were acting out of love. They really just, they were scared that they were going to have a kid that was teased. That wasn't going to be happy. They were, they thought I was unhealthy because I was bigger. And that's what society says is when someone, the fatter someone is the more unhealthy that they are. And so they were acting from this place of love, but at the same time, like that was super damaging when most of our unconscious self is formed between when we're born and when we're seven or eight years old. So all of those unconscious biases are formed at that age from our authority figures. So I was being told as a small, small child, like my body is not good. I need to exercise more. I need to eat less. I need to eat the right foods. Don't eat the wrong foods. Like I remember going to birthday parties when I was little and being like, no, I can't have cake. Like I'm going to get fat if I have cake or like, no, I can't eat those certain things or, you know, yeah, I have schoolwork, but I also need to do my Weight Watchers workouts. Like no eight-year-old should be counting Weight Watchers points. Right. Um, And so instead of fostering this idea of like 
doing movement that brings you joy and eating intuitively, like asking your body what it needs. I was living a life of what do I need to restrict? What do I need to not eat? What do I need to, what movements do I need to do um, to keep my body at least trying to keep it thin, which never, never worked. There was just a lot of yo-yoing going on and it really did a number on my mental health. Um, and I think the culmination of that was probably in chiropractic school. And then what really, really helped me was, um, rugby. Number one is one of the most inclusive sports I've ever experienced. There is a place for every body size on a rugby field. Like if you're small and fast, you're going to be the one running the ball. If you are big and slow, you're going to be the power. You're going to be the person that's doing the tackling. And so rugby for me was the first time that my body size was celebrated and that I was really told like, you can be strong in this big body that you have. Um, and so that for me was a big turning point. And from there, I just started exploring those ideas of like, what does it mean for me in my body to be healthy and happy? Like for me, that means doing movement that brings me joy. Um, stopping, like I, I kept trying to be a runner because I was like, oh, I'll lose weight if I like run a marathon. And I hate it. I hate running, but I love the Stairmaster. I can be on a Stairmaster for an hour. Oh my um, god! I know, right? Like I'm one of those weirdos that can do that, and like I because, love, because you're climbing mountains. <laughs> yeah, like I love the, I love swimming. I love the stairmaster. I love hiking. I love rock climbing. Like all of those things bring me so much joy. And I started looking into intuitive eating, which is all about what can we add into your diet to make you feel better. And when you're adding things into your diet that make you feel better, it makes you want the things that make you feel like crap less. So instead of saying you can't have this, this, and this, you say, okay, what are, what makes you feel good? Like I feel really good when I eat these foods and I feel really bad when I eat these foods. So maybe I need to eat more of these and less of these, but it doesn't mean that I can't ever have Mm -hmm. this list of foods, you know? So it's really more about adding things into your life that enrich your life, adding things like meditation, like breathing um, and less restricting. And once I started doing that, I started noticing that I didn't care so much about what people thought about my body because I felt good. And I didn't care so much about what my body looked like because I felt good in it. Um, and it's always a process. And so I always say like, I, I'm not necessarily body positive or like, I don't celebrate body love. I accept that my worth is completely separate from the size and shape of my body. So it's more about a body acceptance and saying, this is the body that I'm living in. This is the vessel that's housing me right now. And the meat sack. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And my worth and my deserving and my respect is all completely separate from what my body looks like. And that I think is more of like the, the finish line of the peak. Cause I think people shift into like super toxic positivity too, which then mm-hmm. makes you feel like an imposter because you're like, I love my body. I love it. It's great. It's beautiful. It's awesome. I love every bump. I love every, um, every curve, everything. Like I just love it. And it's like, that's not realistic all the time. I don't love my body every single day, but I know that I'm no less deserving of love and respect and worth on the days when I don't love my body as on the days when I do love my body. And so that I think is more of what people should strive for of just really trying to separate that idea that the size and shape of our body dictates our worth and our happiness and our health too. Yeah, absolutely. So I I have one final topic to kind of circle around. It's a little bit of a doozy, but like, so I would say that one of the first things, so this is specifically for like healthcare providers, 
mm-hmm. who are not living in a plus size body. So okay. they're, um, so I know midsize, I don't know what, uh, the official term, if we're talking in like the fashion world is straight size, you know, straight size and plus size. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I've, I've anyway. learned all these things working with, I'm working like, with brands. Are they, are they teeny, are they teeny size? What are they? I don't want to call them typical yeah. because they're not, um, yeah, okay. Straight size. So I would say that one of the first things that a lot of people who are living in a straight size body may need to grapple with is the acceptance that they may be fat phobic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that's probably one of the first steps if, you know, you've never like identified as being fat. Um, but mm-hmm. like realizing as a healthcare provider, first and foremost, like if you sit down with a patient, is one of your first thoughts is blaming their symptoms on their weight is one of your mm-hmm. first diagnoses have to do with their weight and like if that's the case you know like so the question here is kind of like assuming that someone kind of goes oh crap that's that is me mm-hmm. well how can we help that provider start like what other ways can they look at their patient and go okay but sometimes being obese is unhealthy like sometimes that person got like sometimes that person isn't working out so like what kind of health parameters Mm -hmm. do you use Mm -hmm. to determine whether the person sitting across from you whether they are 100 pounds or 400 pounds or whatever they are like what do you use to determine physical health because yeah, I know absolutely. there's people on like so many different like mental health. Oh my like gosh, I know. Physical <laughs> health. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it's important to note too that like people who you can be fat phobic and also be fat. Like oh. I have mm-hmm. I have been at that place too where I have said like, oh, I can't eat that because I'm gonna get fat. And it's like, okay, well, what's the is that the worst thing that could happen in your whole life? Is that you gain some weight? Um, for some people it is. And so really examining what your, what your biases are. And it's okay to say like, I think I may have made some fat phobic decisions or like, I think I'm coming at this place from, from that place of fat phobia. And for me in the healthcare world, like weight loss. Yes. Some people have really experienced great benefits from losing weight and keeping the weight off, but that's not the majority. And when you're looking at a patient and you're saying, okay, like, are these symptoms because of their weight? Typically it's not because of that. We say that it is because it's the easy answer, but is it because they, they have gained weight because they are inactive because they haven't found a plate. Like they have, they don't have a joyful movement because they, they go from sitting in their car to sitting in front of a desk to sitting back in their car to sitting on their couch. Like all of those things you can say, well, yeah, that's because of your weight. Or you can say it in a way that's not fat phobic and like let's talk to me about your movement patterns. What movement do you do? That's, that's helpful. Like, do you, do you do movement? Do you enjoy movement? What are some things that we can work into your, into your lifestyle that encourages movement? Um, and so like, even if you are thinking like this person needs to lose weight, you can still make recommendations to that person that don't include that sentence. Cause I do that all the time. I see a ton of plus size people in my practice and while they may benefit from losing weight, my intention is not the weight loss. It's the intentional right, the cardiovascular, weight loss problem. Like right. here the so, health comes from is can your cardiovascular body handle 
your right. heart rate increasing? Like, can yeah, you? Yeah. So in that way, like I will measure health by saying, let's like, I always take blood pressure. I always do, um, pulse rate. I always kind of ask them about their lifestyle habits, their eating habits in a way that's not fat phobic in the way. Okay, that's how like, do you ask eating habits in a way that's not fat phobic? you can ask the patient, like, tell me about the things that you're eating. Like, are are you eating foods that make you feel good? Are you noticing that you don't feel good after you eat certain foods? You're not asking them to keep a a weight journal or a food diary, like that kind of, so you can just ask like questions from a curious place because people can usually tell intention. Mm -hmm. If you're asking someone like how many cheeseburgers are you eating in a week? Or like, talk to me about like, they can tell if you're asking it from that place. Mm -hmm. You can say, I'm just asking these questions because I want to get a general idea of your overall lifestyle so that I can make recommendations to you that will help improve your health because you told me that you want to reach this goal. And so these questions are going to help me figure out the best recommendations to get you to that goal because ultimately I'm here for you and your health. And so that's what like practicing health at every size. Like I say that I'm a haze doctor. It doesn't mean that I think every single size body is healthy. There are very thin people I see who are super, super sick because of their lifestyle. There are big people that I see that are super, super sick because of their lifestyle and vice versa. So health at every size just means that there are things that we can do to support your health at every size. No matter what size body you're living in, there's usually something that we can do that we can incorporate, that we can add into your lifestyle that will help you reach a goal that you're looking for, whether that's physical health, mental health, just living an overall healthier lifestyle. And that's going to be something different for different people. Um, And so I think if you're approaching a patient from that place of, okay, they just need to lose weight and everything in their life will get better. That's usually not true. And usually it's not the weight that's the problem. It's other things. It's the lack of movement. It's the lack of good nutrition and good nutrition from not a place of weight loss, but intuitive good nutrition. And it's, you know, looking at their personal relationships, looking at their mental health, like recommending a therapist, like all of those things are ways that we can help support a patient with their health goals. That isn't just lose weight and come back to me. I might piss off a couple of people by saying this, but I do that regularly. Um, I, 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 do too. <laughs> I find that some of the angriest people or angriest chiropractors or what angry whatever um about like stop saying health at every size this is not healthy I almost wonder like within everything you seem like you've done therapy like you use like good oh, uh, yeah. good um <laughs> like you use those like things I'm like mm-hmm yeah. It, it's almost like what kind of mirroring is happening that like this size 16 body is making you so angry. And like I've kind of wondered. It challenges their worldview. And I've done a lot of thinking about this because it happens in the mountain climbing world too, of like, how are you at 300 pounds climbing the same mountain that I'm climbing? Because in their mind, they have had to restrict. They've had yes. to They've had to stick to a really, they've had to stick to a really strict diet. They've had to work out a million hours a day, every day a week. They've had to miss things that they've wanted to do. They have restricted themselves from a life of joy because they've had this goal. And I have not done that. And I have now achieved the same thing. And so it's, it's on them. It's that internal thing of like, I did all of this work and I put myself through hell so that I could reach this mountaintop and you're doing it in a way that's so joyous and happy. 
And so that's why people get so mad when they see people loving their lives and their fat bodies, because they think that they shouldn't be, they think they should be miserable. They think they should be unhealthy. I, I had a person that told me two years ago, there's no way that you climbed the mountains that you did and that you eat the same diet as your 165 pound husband. Like you have to be sneaking Snicker bars in there somewhere. Like there's no way that you're doing this. Like he could not believe in his world, it could, did not compute that I could be doing the things that I was doing in my body. And it made him so angry. And so you just have to realize that like those things have nothing to do with you. And it took me a long time to realize that like, why is my body making someone so mad? And it's, it's on them. It's their, it's their mindset and their worldview that there should be no way that I can do what I'm doing because they've just always believed that the fatter you are, the more unhealthy you are. And there's no way that you can do extreme sports or, just even be happy, like being happy in a large body is something that's so foreign to some people. Mm. Thank you. That was yeah, like, you hit the nail on the head there, where it's just mm-hmm. like, no, because if you could have gotten to the same point, like, then what did I, what kind of abuse did I just do to my, I know it, it makes them self feel like, Oh, so I've done all of this for nothing. Cause I could have just done this and been happy. And it's like, yeah, you could have just chosen to be happy versus choosing, like choosing to be miserable because you thought that's what you needed. More than likely, especially because of like genetics, like you said, like people just get so mad of like, no, there's no way that you eat like less than whatever calories a day. Like what? Um, Mm -hmm. And more than likely, they probably would have still done the damn workouts. More than like, you know, more than likely they still would have ordered a salad from time to time, but like without the, like, I have to do this because if I don't, I won't achieve happiness. And so, yeah. And I think people like we accept diversity in so many different ways. Like we accept biological diversity in many, many different ways, except for body size. Like we accept that people can have different heights and that's normal, that people can have different hair colors and that's normal, different eyes. That's normal. But body size, as soon as we get into body size, it's like, no, anything above a 14 is fat and they should lose weight. Like we just don't accept that there's biological diversity in body size. Right. Like it is just, and that has got to be one of, it's got to be one of the biggest myths. Like it's just. Yeah. And even if it was a choice, that person isn't less deserving of respect, of proper medical care, of like, even if someone is choosing to live in their fat body and be happy about it. And they are saying, there are things that I could do to shrink my size, or maybe I'm not as physically healthy as I could be, but I'm choosing that life and that's okay. And that's my choice as an autonomous human. We all have that autonomy to make our own choices. That doesn't make them any less deserving of respect, happiness, joy. Like it just doesn't. And we have tied those things together. Megan, tell people where they can follow your really awesome media <laughs> that I love. Um, so my personal Instagram is at PDX, which is the Portland Airport code. Everyone always asks me that. Like, what does PDX stand for? I didn't know. Um, so, I was, yeah. mm-hmm. Everything in Portland is PDX. Like people use it in their businesses all the time. It's like part of our identity as Portlanders. So PDX Outdoor Cairo is my personal Instagram. That's where all my climbing stuff is, where all of my like deep vulnerable rantings go. Um, and then my business Instagram is at verve, V E R V E life PDX. Um, and you can always email me, uh, Megan at verve life PDX.com. I imagine that you get, um, a lot of, like you are so vulnerable 
on your stories and like and all like you're a really great writer and I would imagine that you get a lot of very nice things from people that are heartbreaking of just like thank you for being being social about this Um, I do and it's it's heartwarming every time I love every single message that I get from people who say things like I'm so inspired or empowered or I've always been wanting to try this thing and you seeing you do it like makes me feel like I can do that. And that's always really, really heartwarming. And even with like health and chiropractic too, like, um, you know, really being able to kind of rewrite some of those experiences for people who've had bad experiences with chiropractors or bad experiences with doctors in general. Um, it's always, I'm so grateful that I have that platform to be able to make that kind of change. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, thanks for having me. On. And and honestly, like truly, thanks for talking about a super fucking vulnerable topic. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> it's like I gave you forewarning of like I want to go there. Um. So like thank you because I know it's not easy, but like it's so important. It's so important. It is, and thanks for being able to being willing to have those conversations and have some of those kind of stickier topics that people disagree on. Like it's okay to disagree, but when you come from it, this like mutual respect place that we can talk about it is when is how change happens. Absolutely. Okay. She slayers go follow Dr. Megan and her, her outdoor <laughs> climbing, what, whatever mountain she's on this week. Um, and until next week, bye. Hey, she slayers. Are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait.